Welcome to They Live By Film, a film discussion podcast focusing on the Criterion channel and beyond. My name is Adam Lundy, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, Chris Haskell and Zach Bryant. Gentlemen, how's things? Hello, hello. So good. Hello, hello. All good. It's been a minute. It's been a couple of weeks since we've talked. Any yeah. any news? Well, any I, I think Chris time? got a good night's sleep. That's that's what was important. Oh, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, doing this at noon on a on a holiday Monday is uh, is wonderful. As opposed to uh, I don't even know what. Oh, my little uh, my my little kid t- undid my alarm somehow, or maybe I'm just making an excuse. I don't know. But I just completely slipped in past our last recording. So sorry. Yeah, I appreciate y'all being yeah. flexible. <laughs> it's all it's all good. It's all good. I was very stressed out last day anyway because of the big game I was waiting for. It didn't work out in our favor. Neither did the one, the second big game on Saturday. So it hasn't been a nice two weeks for me in the meantime. But um, it is what it is. It is what right. uh... So so depressed that you grew a mustache. I had to. I had to. I had to just. I had to work through the pain some way. The facial you know, hair was the only way to do it. I think. Is this true for football? Because baseball is like a, a sport that's really big on. Um, um, Oh, I'm going to forget the word now, but it'll come to me in just a second. Um, not tradition, but it's really big on, um, oh, shoot. Anyways, so like like if people are having a, a slump where they're not hitting the ball, they'll like change their socks or they'll change their shirt or they'll, you know, they'll change something physical in order to try to like change their luck. And then if it works, they won't ever change that belt or shirt. No, only crazy Americans do that shit. It's yeah. only baseball. Like, like I, I don't hear that. on their teams sport. and all this nonsense. That doesn't happen outside of America. Okay, okay. Sorry <laughs> to tell you. Superstitious. Superstitious is the word I was looking for. When we're not winning, we change our players. That's what we do. We're I mean, like, you're not I mean baseball good. is just around that anyway. Because, like, you look at, like, the Boston Red Sox for years couldn't win the World Series, and they blamed Babe Ruth, and then the Cubs blamed uh, – that guy who caught a foul ball because yeah. they couldn't win a World Series. It, 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 baseball's just like that. Exactly. There is one in Ireland. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with a sport called um, Gaelic football. It's a it's an Irish sport. Um, Rugby, kind of. It's 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 kind of hard to describe. Um, it's, it's closer close to, to I don't rules, know if you right? guys. Sorry. It's close to Aussie rules, right? That's what I was about to say. If you're familiar with Aussie rules, yeah. Aussie rules came from Gaelic football, kind of developed from it. But um, there's a curse in, in Gaelic football for Mayo, one of the counties on the west on the west coast. Um, they've never won an All-Ireland Championship, but they've been to the final like dozens of times. Uh, oh, no, they have. They just haven't won in something like a few decades, since like the 50s or something, because apparently they're cursed because... The team on the last time they won the title, the team bus went by the funeral of a priest or some bullshit. <laughs> and apparently the priest put a curse on them. But like they haven't they haven't won. But like they've been to like 10 finals in the last like 15 years, but they just like, can't win. It's just a mental thing, obviously. Like they they think they're cursed, so they play shit, you know, that kind of way. I think um, the closest we have, like in the NFL, is just the Detroit Lions in general. I think they're just a, like that's the only time. Like you know what, they might be cursed. <laughs> no one can be that for bad for that bad team. Well, you say that, but the Detroit Lions are right there to prove that you can. You can suck. <laughs> they had they had Matthew Stafford and Megatron. We couldn't win more than ten games. You know. 
It's a team sport. It's a te- football. It, it is. It is a team. It is a team sport. You're right. But when you have players years. that good, and you're still you still suck, then something else is wrong. Now it'd be a different story. Like I think the Bills, the way the Bills was it lost four straight Super Bowls, four straight four Super Bowls to the NFC East. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's 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 more of a curse than the Lions. I think the Lions are just a shit franchise. Um, but the Bills losing four. The Bills should have beat the Giants. Is... They they lost on a field goal. They should have won that one. That's the other one. And that was like that was a really them. bad Giants team as well, as far as I remember. Like they, that Giants team were nothing special, if I remember. Reading yeah, they were just kind of the Redskins at the time, and the Cowboys just kind of beat each other up so bad. The Giants got their way in. <laughs> they need the, the the Bills and the Lions need C two Bo to uh, do a judo throw over the shoulder and, and correct their uh, mind a little bit. Mindset. I was I was about to say, let's not alienate all the nerds who listen to us who probably don't know what sports are. Um, <laughs> apologies, our valued listeners, please don't hate us. Um, well, look, the first film we're going to talk about today is a 2004 movie um, from Hong Kong. I, yeah, it's in Cantonese, just from Hong Kong. Uh, it's called Throwdown by a dude called Johnny Toe or Johnny Two. Johnny Two? Johnny Toe? Johnny Toe. I'll, go, I'll go with Johnny Toe. That sounds funny. That sounds better to me. Um, it's about a young fighter and an aspiring singer. They reawaken a drunken gambler's desire to prove his skills in the judo ring. Pretty straightforward film in terms of like, the very basic plot. A lot of stuff happens in it. It's a very dynamic film, different kind of styles coming to and fro throughout. Um, Chris, I think you're 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 probably a big fan of this film. Um, maybe more so. I don't know what Zach, I can't remember what Zach thought of it. It's been a it's been a couple of weeks viewers since we watched our listeners, since we viewed this movie. So I'm trying to remember what everyone thought of it. But I assume, Chris, I think you said that this is like your perfect kind of film when you reviewed it originally. Is that right? Am I? Yeah, good memory. It is. So uh, the world ranks this as 8,236, which I think has a lot to do with the distribution of Johnny Toe's films. Um, He's made some amazing movies. I think he's going to be discovered over time uh, in in a big way. And I think this movie is going to be up there for him. It's quirky for sure, but I think it's a beautiful movie. So um, I think that's 8,000 is way too low for me. But yeah, I suppose it only came out in 2004 and Eureka only put it out last year. I think Criterion only put it out last year as well. So I agree. It's probably one of those um, films where it just hasn't been seen by a lot of people just yet. Yeah, I could imagine um, somebody, I was going to say Third Window, but I think that's mostly Japanese stuff. I could see somebody doing a box set of Johnny Toe's films. Well, Eureka have two of his films now, so they might be on the way there Air 4444 you, you, you got your work made out for you here hold on Logan Sam listen in get him out um, but yeah I, I, I feel like he's going to be discovered in a big way at one point look I, I'll, I'll be I want to hear Zach's opinion I'll be quick with this and we, there's a lot to dive into there's a scene there, there's two things to me that I want to like like focus on for the sake of talking about this one is there's a scene where you know the whole plot idea to begin with is cool just about these three people coming together and uh, that have no business sort of being together, but all leaning on each other and helping each other out. Um, I think you can do a lot of, you can have a lot of fun with that plot line. There's a scene where they're all sitting around a table individually talking with their past, who's caught up to them. And the camera pans around and it circles and they have all these conversations that are overlapping. And somehow he pulls it off to where, even though there's no break in the audio, just by the way the mic is spinning around with the camera, you pick up different pieces of the conversation as it goes. And like, that takes a 
very well choreographed, very well thought out sort of, you know, master to, to pull that off in a way that it works at all. Maybe you all will tell me it didn't work for you, but that's, I, I love that scene. And then the other one is uh, this, I, I have the same reaction to everything everywhere all at once that I just saw. A film that can be like Throwdown, but bring in humor in ways that you're not expecting, to me is gonna be a win every time. Like the really random humor uh, and, and just kind of play with genre expectations a little bit, it's gonna be a big win for me. So I'll stop there for now, but what about you, Zach? Um, so this movie's a little, been a little interesting for me. So I watched it, uh, I guess, nearly a month ago now. Uh, and when it ended, I was like, you know what? That was pretty good. I liked it. I didn't think a whole lot of it at the time. And as it's kind of went on, like the la- like a couple weeks afterwards, it was just, there was like these little moments that I would kind of, I guess, go back to, like in my mind, I would think yeah. about. Um, and I, I think I have to give a lot of credit. Like, while it wasn't a movie I thought a lot of at the time, it has this weird emotional maturity to it that you really, I guess, wouldn't expect. Like, I don't know. It's so simple, but you know, I, I like the scene that always stuck and we'll get to it later. Um, I'm sure. But the one scene that really stood out to me was the part where they have the money and they're picking it up from the street. The, uh, I can't wish I could remember the characters names now, but the, uh, the, the couple is sitting there about the money's went everywhere on the street. Yeah. You got people like picking it up across the street and they're paying for some reason. It's like the score of that scene is just absolutely beautiful. And it's just a really weirdly powerful scene for me. And I'm not even really sure why. And I guess that's kind of the best, uh, explanation i have for throwdown in general um that's the best scene in the film I, what's that that's the best scene in the film the one where they're running and she's yeah running away yeah and all the money's it really, flying out. yeah it's it just amazing. stood out to me so much and i can't really explain why like there's just something about it that just kind of just stayed with me i guess yeah but that, that's yeah. my general thoughts for now uh i would definitely rewatch it because it was uh it was a lot different than i expected it to be i think Oh yeah, I'm the same. I was expecting like a straight up flight movie. Um, so the fact that there was these these other sort of plot dynamics thrown in was was super interesting. It's definitely an interesting film. Um, when I was watching it, there were sort of three three aspects I picked up on. One that I read about, one that I sort of picked on pretty instantly, and then one I kind of realized, you know, a good portion of the way through. So obviously, I'd read that this film in some way was inspired by Akira Kurosawa. I think it was his first film. Sanshiro um, Sugata, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sanshiro Sugata. I think, was that his first movie? I know yeah. it was definitely already. Okay. Which is about, uh, I think you've seen that one. I definitely, oh, you've seen all of Kurosawa's of course. Um, I didn't know too much about it. I didn't see a ton of Kurosawa in this film, but then again, I'm maybe more used to mid-career Kurosawa in terms of like his samurai movies, um high and low that kind of that kind of uh, era so perhaps you know maybe i'm just it's something where i have to see censure together to kind of get it but i I didn't see a ton there what i noticed pretty pretty early into the film there was just one kind of filmmaker screaming at me when i was looking at this and it was martin scorsese i think yeah okay film has scorsese written all over it the bar is called after hours first off so right there's there's that <laughs> so that's pretty obvious but i don't know there's just something about the feel and that that scene you mentioned earlier chris with, with the camera sort of moving around and going to it just reminded me of like goodfellas or something like that yeah. um so yeah martin scorsese was it was just it was hitting me over the head and like this dude loves loves scorsese <laughs> um and then i kind of realized later on that it's not really just 
like it's, it's definitely indebted to Scorsese, but it is also in a way kind of a love letter to Asian cinema in general, uh, especially East Asian cinema, Hong Kong cinema in particular. Um, so obviously, like we obviously the Japanese aspect, I mentioned Sanjiro Sagada, but then you look at it and obviously the fighting parts, you know, would be like Shaw Brothers, the more sort of comedic elements alongside it, that would be, you know, like uh, Jackie Chan movies, like Please Story. But then you also have the really sort of visually dynamic, gritty, neon-y parts, which would be like Wong Kar Wai. Mm-hmm. And then the way, the sort of looseness and the slack, you know, like almost like the slacker aspect of the characters reminded me of another film club film from China, from our, our friend Jia Zhangke, which is Unknown Pleasures. You know, reminded me of that as well, which came out a couple of years before this one. So at the end of the film, I was like, you know, at the very least, even if, and I did like the film, but I'm saying, even if I didn't enjoy the film, it was a really interesting time capsule of East Asian cinema. Um, luckily, the film was really good. At the same time, it's entertaining. The characters are all really likable. Uh, you, you do care about their journey. Um but yeah, I just thought it was really, it was a really interesting way to go about the film, which, you know, a lesser filmmaker would have just made a, a, f- a fight movie and we would have all forgotten about it by now. Um, but, you know, Johnny Toad did something a little bit different. He took a fight movie as a, as a basis and then explored the people around yeah. that and their different dynamics and how their lives can affect, be affected in different ways. Um, wh- one thing, uh, just quickly, it's not like Sanjiro Sugata. That's not how it plays out. I didn't think Sanjiro Sugata would have as um, blatant ads for Gillette as this film. (laughs) Exactly. No Gillette ads. Um, I think if he pulled anything from that movie, and somebody who's, you know, I mean, I've seen Kurosawa's movies, but I'm by no means an expert. If somebody wants to argue with me, please, you know, let us know. But what I think he pulls from it is this idea of the dojos that are fighting against each other and this idea of like the, the, this preeminent sort of fighter who is kind of coming up into acclaim, needing to challenge people to get recognition and needing to kind of grow. And, and it's really important for the different dojos to sort of get that one fighter who's going to be, who's going to make them like at the top, you know, their, their, their dojo or whatever at the top. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Stylistically, there's nothing, um, okay. there's nothing there. I, I think that, uh, I also love the fact that of all the different fighting styles he could have chose, I like the fact that he chose judo. Yeah. Um, because it's the least cinematic martial art, right? Yeah, I actually thought that was interesting because I, I, I used to do a little judo. So I was like, oh, well, good. I kind of understand this one. So that was kind of a nice part for me. <laughs> Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, I, I have not, but it, like, there's nothing inherent to the, to the form. There's nothing cinematic about it. No, it's a very efficient fighting style. It's why like uh, law enforcement and I think military still uses like parts of it, like different things. Like it's a very efficient fighting style is what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Or what you, is what you're saying, the whole point is that you're supposed to throw them down. <laughs> <laughs> Cracked Isn't that pretty much it, though? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just making a joke as well. Isn't I mean, if, I guess you're doing for competition. Yeah, I mean, it's about get, it's about trying to stay on your feet and things like that. Because yeah. once you get down to ground fighting, I mean, yeah, it gets yeah. rough. Um, so, but 
it, you know, we used something called like Gracie when we did law enforcement. So Gracie judo. Um, but yeah, anyway, yeah, that's, I, I guess that's the idea. Just whoever goes down first. Interesting. Um, and it, and it, there's just something that is, uh, I think Gareth, uh, sorry, Edwards, right? Who did uh, Scott Pilgrim? Uh, no. Uh, Edward, uh, Edgar Wright. Edgar, Edgar Wright. Wright. You're, you're Edgar thinking Wright. the guy who did the Raid movies. Ed, no, Edgar Wright. Sorry, I just, just brain freeze. Uh, Edgar Wright, there's something that he does well uh, that I think um, that Johnny Toe does well here as well. If you have a non-cinematic art form, there's ways you can make each individual sort of like hook and, and grab. If you zoom in on it and do crazy camera tricks and have the music swell and, and there's ways you can make it cinematic. If you understand the key parts, like what's important and, and, you, and you use cinematic trickery to like make it exciting. Um, and I think that that's one thing he does well here is he like elevates this into something that's fun to watch. Um, you know, in, in Sanshiro Sagata, it's, it's not that. It's not necessarily fun to watch. It's more about the journey of this young fighter. Um, it's actually really closely, I would, I would put Sanshiro Sagata much closer to Rocky. <clears throat> the, the, second, the second Sugata, there's two of them. The second one, uh, there's a fight against an American and it, it plays, or maybe a British, sorry, it's been a while since I've seen it. But it plays almost exactly like Rocky Four against the Russian. Like it's almost like the person from Rocky Four was like watching it, like taking notes. Um, so yeah, much more about the but that 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 element that that's what I like about this movie, anyways. Is he he took he took something sort of neutral as a fighting style, and then by doing that, I think he let the characters' personalities come through, and like the rest of the movie shine, as opposed to making it about like the the actual you know fighting style itself yeah because in a way the fighting is probably like the least important part of right. the whole film you know it's a selling point maybe you know for the for the casual who, who doesn't really know what they're getting themselves into that's certainly what drew me in it's like oh cool you know i've been watching a few kung fu movies in the last few months yeah i'll watch i'll watch another fighting movie that's okay by me um but i obviously didn't get that and that was fine you know i, I still i still like the film but certainly it's it's much more about the 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 camaraderie aspect the you know trying to claw back from rock bottom um you know definitely it's definitely more about the people and the friendships and picking picking your friends up when they're down that that kind of thing way 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 more more important than than the fighting the fighting is just kind of like a, a framing device if you can even call it that because even then it's it's not even that important yes the whole point is that um the sort of one of the main characters there's three main characters one of the main characters was a former champion and he's given up fighting and this young up-and-comer is trying to sort of get him get him back to fighting again give him a bit more lease on life because he's just a drunken gambler and um, we obviously find out towards the end of the film why um gives a bit more context to his sort of downfall but um yeah, it's it's not about the fighting. It's about yeah, it's about the camaraderie and the friendship and trying to pick your friends up when they're on the floor, or grab their shoes when they've fallen off their feet, as <laughs> what happen, as happens I think twice in this movie if I remember correctly. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Now, what did y'all think about the way that music was used here? Um, does, is there is there anything noteworthy there? I really, I, I you know, we're gonna we're talking about Mieke here in a minute too. 
Um, and there, there's certain elements, Stephen Chow does this as well in his movies. I think there's certain filmmakers that sort of use music that is counterintuitive to the scene, but it works. They do it in a, in a way that it, it, it can work well. Uh, and I felt like Johnny Toe is, is another one of those for me. Um, I, I agree with that to the sense that, you know, what, what stands out, like I mentioned before, the, a lot of your, like, a lot of what's memorable isn't, like, any type of fight music. I don't even know if there's any type of music that plays when they're fighting. I can't remember. But what I do remember is kind of the lower moments, like the, uh, the I guess the calmer moments would be said. That, that's kind of what stood out, and that kind of is interesting for the type of movie it is. I'm going to sound like an asshole. I don't remember anything about the music. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, we, we don't have to go too far down that. Um, yeah, that just, I don't know. I like, I like it when, when people kind of play with the expectations of, of music a little bit. But this oh, is yeah, the- for sure. Like if you have like this, you know, you do see it quite a bit in, in different movies, especially you see it quite a bit in like, I think Tarantino does it sometimes if I remember right. Where it's like this, the scene of like horrible stuff is happening. Like maybe it's a big fight or something, but like all you hear is just like opera music or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to, yeah. I think I do remember something in this film, something like that, where is there like, there's like a big fight going on, but there's like a weird song playing. Oh, it's not. Sorry. It's, it isn't the dude singing that song. Um, it's like a, it's like a Cantonese kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's up on stage. Yes, yes, I do. I remember exactly the part now that we're talking about. Um, I love that. Yeah, now that I remember, I did. I remember thinking that was awesome. You know, they <laughs> could have chosen any shit music to play over this, but they, they got this really sort of haunting sort of prayer song almost. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do remember now. That was actually very cool. I did like it, that. It's, speaking of Wong Kar Wai, so I just started going through his filmography literally about a week ago. And so I saw his tears go by and all the way back then he already had uh, take my breath away in, uh, in Chinese. And so, you know, he's, yeah. he's another one that likes to kind of play with music and kind of mix the East and the West and in, in creative ways through the way he does music. Yeah. I love the part in, in um, Chunking Express when they have a, they have a Cantonese version of dreams by Cranberries, yes. um, which is sang by, um, I can't think of her name now. Um, the short-haired girl from the second story. Um, that actress, oh, nice. she sings that as well. Um, yeah, Wong Kar Wai, he he works music so well. Um, it, <laughs> you know, obviously, some people will say uh, California Dreaming is like overused in um, in Chunking Express. Obviously, it's it's used to the point of meme. Um, but yeah, I think he uses he he uses he uses music music incredibly well in those films. I especially think of that one particular piece of music that plays repeatedly and in the mood for love. And it's just so iconic, just the strings. Um, yeah. yeah. use music incredibly. I, I love that as well. When directors play with that, that sort of notion of music and film, um, because anyone can just play, you know, any old nonsense. Like, uh, like I don't want to pick on, but like Wes Anderson or something like, it's always very obvious what kind of music Wes Anderson is going to play in his, sure. in his movies. Um, it's like, it's not, like, not surprising. I think the closest you get maybe is in Steve Zizou when you have the dude doing the Portuguese acoustic covers of David Bowie songs for the whole film. Yeah. That might be the only difference, but like pretty much all the rest of the filmography is like, yeah, this is like a Wes Anderson song. That's fair enough. But it's cool when directors just do something a little bit different and kind of play something you're not really expecting. 
was a is it Save the Green Planet that uses like two or three versions of Somewhere Over the Rainbow? Yeah, yeah, it does. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. an awesome film. <laughs> good, good that's call. So good. We need, um, to, we need to rewatch that for the podcast at some point because I don't know how would we talk about it. I suppose maybe it's not a good <laughs> idea because <laughs> you you can't talk about that movie without ruining it. Better just um, watch it. Yeah. Um, there, there's one. Uh, are there spoilers for this movie? Not really. I wouldn't say. Because the whole reason he's giving, he, he sort of became drunk, and the whole reason he's giving up on fighting is because he's slowly going blind, right? Yeah. Um, and I was curious to hear y'all's take on that, th- that idea, because I feel like there's something in this where there, there's something in this movie about fighting, you know, because when he, <clears throat> there's a moment where he gets his passion back, right? And that kind of creates this temporary surge of uh, sort of like energy and focus for him. And he goes and he fights again, right? Before he loses his sight. Right? Mm-hmm. Isn't, that, isn't that right? Yeah, in the, in, the, in the tall grass. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, you know, what, what do you all think Toe is trying to say there? Like, wh- because I, I keep hearing about how this is like a personal film for him. It doesn't quite make sense uh, directly, right? I mean, I don't think Toe's lost his sight. He's made many movies after this. And there's that one kind of <laughs> Woody Allen movie about a director who's lost his sight. Um, I don't think that's the case for, for Toe. Um, well, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I mean, kind of what I would, I guess I would get from that is just like, it, it's about, you know, I won't say on sports much since we just talked about it, but it kind of <laughs> relates what we're talking about. Um, in the sense that you have these people, like we brought up Metatron earlier, Megatron, um, quitting before you're washed up, quitting before you just limp off, you know, limp off what you're good at. You know, don't, you know, it's better to give up at the prime than to just, you know, whittle away to nothing. Okay. Um, it's almost like that sense of pride you have because, you, I mean, you know, nobody wants to watch that. Nobody wants to experience that, you know, just to, you, you play until you're done. Um, or do you give up when you know it's about to happen sort of idea and leave something there? I, I think to that aspect as well, the fact that, because it seems as though he had, like he, he had assumed that he was done. You know, that's why he was kind of drinking and gambling because he's like, that. Nah, I'm done. Right. So another way of looking at it could also be to enjoy what you have while you can. You know, rather than rather than just sort of sinking down and think, oh, what's the point? I'm going to be blind soon. Why should I even bother fighting? Instead, it's more about, I should do this while I still can. Because when I do go fully blind or whatever, you know, if we're looking at it in a wider aspect, when such and such does eventually happen, I'm going to be regretting the times I was sitting on my ass doing nothing when I could have been doing that while I still could. Mm. So maybe it's that aspect as well, that kind of getting getting over that that mental block of oh what's the point i won't be able to do this for long to more looking at the mindset of i need to try and do this while i still can which is kind of what tom brady i guess is going through right now too trying to figure that out yeah yeah at his age exactly yeah the fact that the fact like this is a good this is a good comparison tom brady and megatron considering between tom brady winning his first and last Super Bowls, Megatron was drafted, got signed, 
joined the hall, retired, joined the Hall of Fame all in the same, all in the time in between <laughs> Brady's first and most recent Super Bowl. So <laughs> that's um, insane. I hate I hate yeah. Tom Brady stats so much. They're so <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Troy Pol- Polamalu is is similar between you know like but like Wayne just, Gretzky. Like, I, I don't know if you you guys yeah. follow hockey in I- Ireland, right? I know who Wayne Gretzky is. He's the only hockey player I know just because he's like the most famous one. Yeah, like the stupid thing where if you take the Gretzky brothers, they have more points than any other sibling duo in hockey, and his brother only scored like one goal. (laughs) 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 Together they are incredible on his own. He is garbage. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm good with that. There's something, and, and I'm having deja vu. I hope we haven't talked about this too much already. There's something that really reminded me of that Stephen King story, the second book in the um, Dark Tower series. Ooh, I'd yeah. like to hear more about Dark Draw Tower. The, tree. the Drawing of the Three. Yeah, there's something that reminded me a lot about that story that really drew me into this, just because, you know, the Drawing of the Three is so much about these three friends coming from different worlds and not having any tie-in together, mm-hmm. um, syncing up and and going and saving the world, maybe. Uh, whatever, whatever that... Why, whatever reason they're chasing the dark tower. Um, but there's something in this that I, it had a very similar spirit to me, although it's slightly different because in drawing of the three, he found them, but in here, like they found him, right. Mm-hmm. And sort of drug him out, but it's still that power of, of community and friendship over, over the individual, right. What you're able to accomplish as a, as a group, as opposed to as, as on your own. Well, it's that idea of finding something together that you find bigger than yourself. Like, I mean, yeah, it's just as simple as, you know, a little judo, a little friendly competition to a lot of them. But, you know, it can mean a whole lot more that you couldn't do on your own. Like, you know, you talk about like we were talking about the guy who was going blind. He had to find something like, you know, he he found something there, even though it doesn't seem to mean that much if you like draw back from it. But it meant everything to him. So, yeah, I agree with that. I do see similarities there. And I think speaking of friends and uh, the community that, that supports us, uh, it, uh, that's every time I get a new uh, mail day in from, from all these local boutique labels, I feel like I'm buying from friends. And uh, so let's do, let's do collection corner here. We've got um, the, the two that I'm probably most excited about. So uh, finally got the, um, the new Cauldron films in. So Contraband and then Murder in a Blue World, the two new releases from Uncle Jesse. And uh, the so Contraband is a Fulci film and it's his only Poliziotechi movie, which is supposed to be like a crime kind of mafia drama, you know, or, or action movie. But because it's Fulci, I think he just doesn't know how to be gory. <laughs> so like, like when they put a flame to the person's face, they hold it there for like a minute and you just watch the face melt. Like it's like all this kind of stuff that you're like, you're basically watching a horror movie, but it's, it's guised as a Polizio Tecci movie. So that movie rules. Um, and then also I was just kind of piddling around and uh, actually uh, Ryan over at Disconnected tipped me off that there's some sales going on at Deep Discount for the imprint films, the Australian label. And they had a really good deal on the, this Wicker Man release. Have y'all seen this? What they did for the Wicker Man release? Have y'all heard about? I, I want to get it. It looks. It looks cool. Like we always talk about definitive releases. Like this is a definitive release of that movie. <laughs> like 
they have like three or four different cuts. They've got incredible amount of special features. They have, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So got that. And then um, the original Scarface, they had a, a good deal on the, on the um, original Paul Mooney Scarface. And then I finally got the across 110th street updated to Blu-ray. So those are two recent ones and we just had the vinegar syndrome sale. So I'll wait till I get that stuff in to talk about it. But um, I, I definitely participated. I didn't go crazy, but I definitely participated. Yeah, I may be getting that Wicker Man set soon because I've been wanting it and it looks really nice. So I'm glad to hear it is a good set. It's crazy. So much stuff. So much. They, they, they went all out for that. What about you, Zach? Um, the only thing I've kind of gotten recently, which I did, I was on the Vinegar Syndrome sale. So I stayed up and hated my life a little bit, just really just to get one thing. Um, and I got, not even gonna try to say it, it's a, a Russian film or Soviet, I guess it was Soviet at the time, called The Sword and the Dragon, because um, that sold quick. It's through... Um, Death Crocodile. Death Crocodile, yes. That yes, film looks awesome. The, the, the cover art looks so cool. Uh, Ilya Tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 before the sale started, it had 350 copies left, and it sold out in 10 minutes. I was able to get a copy. Nice. But yeah, that, that went quick. Um, and I already had Thriller pre-ordered, so I'll be getting that. You know, I'm not, I'm not as lucky as Chris and has the um, gets their their stuff first because I'm not a subscribed member. But so those will be in hopefully within the next couple months. That's kind of my hope when it comes to Vinegar Syndrome after sales uh, within two months. Uh, but what I, something I've actually got is, and Adam, I think you said you had it too, which is the um, complete Twin Peaks Z to A set. Yeah. Which is both a set I love and a set I really hate. It's a fucking it, pain in the ass. Like, I, I have not, like, there's some cool, <laughs> like, it, there's so much stuff in a vacuum that's really cool. But then they do these, like, really weird ideas. Like, I love the box. I think the box is really well made. Then you open it up, and it's so, un it's not weighted very well. Like, one mm -hmm. side has everything, and then one side has nothing. So um, you open it up, and then you, the cases aren't labeled. So when I'm sitting there trying to, like, watch episodes, of like, find an episode, I have to unfold these things and start pulling out discs out of these sleeves just to figure out which one's which. Um, but it's got, cases I mean, to its credit, in. it's got every, I think it's got every special feature that's ever been on a release. It's got every two time. episodes in 4K. Um, it has both versions of the pilot. It has the missing pieces from the movie. Um, as far as definitive sets go, it's probably the best they're ever going to do. Um, but yeah, it's a frustrating set. It looks great, but it's a frustrating set altogether. Yeah, it has literally everything. Anything that's ever been officially released about Twin Peaks, it's in there. Um, that's like they call it Z to A for a reason. It literally has everything. The box set, I fucking hate it because my my little sleeve thing that all the things were in was not put in correctly. So I couldn't get the discs out. So I had to rip it off. And then oh my, box my God. Torn to shit. And, oh. I bought it, and I bought it from Zavi on sale and they had no more copies of it left. So all they did was they said they'd refund me half. Uh, and I couldn't and even I mean, find out who have, the manufacturer was. To have it's was. worth the price. I mean, I paid, I can't remember how much I paid for it. But I was like, just to have everything is nice. But man, I wish they had just put a little bit more work into the box. Yeah, the box is so frustrating. Um, 
but look, it's like I said, like it's for any Twin Peaks fan, it's a must-have because it has it's literally everything's ever been put out about Twin Peaks officially is in there. So yeah, uh, it's it's great for that, but the the set itself is the box is very fucking frustrating. Which uh, me and my girlfriend are slowly going through Twin Peaks now, and um, it pretty much just ends with her every episode being like, "What the fuck." Wait till you get to the return. So, like, me was like super chill with like the first two seasons, and then the movie, she was like, "This is really rough." And I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, so don't worry." And we watched the return, and I won't spoil it because I know you haven't seen the return yet, so I won't spoil anything. But there's a particular episode in the in the return. It's like a turning point episode, and um, we didn't. Um, my guess it is for... it's episode eight because that's yeah. the one they chose for the four K. So yeah, episode eight. It's episode eight. And we didn't, we watched it like at least like one or two episodes every night for a solid couple of weeks getting through. And after episode eight, I don't think we watched it for like three or four months. <laughs> so, wow. um, yeah, uh, that's nothing to do with quality. Episode eight is fucking awesome. It's one of the greatest hours of television ever made. Um, but uh, let me know how you get on when you finish that one. Uh, I'm excited for it, which Alicia, she is liking it because she was looking at stickers for a fish and a percolator. Oh, yeah. That's that's great. That's a great thing. One thing I will say, as someone someone who has seen The Return two or three times, um, to someone who's never seen The Return, do not expect normal Twin Peaks. If you expect normal Twin Peaks, you you will be frustrated. Just expect Lynch. Okay, I can, and just I can go do with that it. Just go, just just you just have to go with it because it's it's honestly it's really not like the first two seasons, like at all. It's so it's so different, um, in terms even just in terms of like the style and the the atmosphere and everything like that. It's if you go in expecting or like you know it'd be back to you know. Do, 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 do. <laughs> you know cool cool twin peaks you're going to be like super disappointed or very frustrated if you just enjoy the ride then you'll like it and you'll yeah. like it even better the second time because then your expectations will be adjusted that's what it took for me i was quite frustrated watching it every week um i i, I did tell my girlfriend because she asked me she's like is this ever going to be solved she's like will you find out who could laura palmer i was like yes you will get that answer i will not guarantee anything else that's true. and you only sort of get that uh, no, that's pretty. Well, I suppose it's kind of definitive. Um, about as definitive as it was going to be for Lynch, because I think, yeah. from my understanding, he didn't want an answer at all. So, I don't take know. what you can there's, get. There's so many different stories about that, you know, about Frank Silva and stuff. You know, there's so many different stories about how he became involved mm-hmm. as Bob. You know, some say it was a pure accident. Others say Lynch wanted him, but he didn't know how big of a role he wanted him. Some yeah, there's so many different stories about, and I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't think you've even seen it at all, Chris. Um, from what I remember, it's not like if we spoiled anything, it'll make sense even with context. I know, <laughs> but still, and I don't know how far <laughs> you are. You, oh well, I suppose you've seen the first two, so I can't ruin anything on you. I um, randomly, I was going through that that top 1,000 movies or whatever, and I stopped. I stopped doing it this way because I was just, uh, anyways, I didn't like the order that I was going through, but. Because of that, I wound up seeing Fire Walk With Me without seeing anything else, which was an interesting... That's an interesting experience. Just ruined the whole fucking... Yeah, I'm like, I wonder, did you like it? Did you like it at all? No, I wouldn't say I did. 
I, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't imagine you'd like it. No, I, I get that. That's that tracks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> once you watch Twin Peaks, it's like the, it's like one of the best films ever. Um, if that's I'll, any help, I'll give it another chance for sure. I'll, I'll I'm yeah. going to be going through. I think. Anyways, and yeah. I don't know why people complicate it. Just literally watch it in the order that Lynch released it in. People are always yeah, like, oh, should I, I watch mean, it this order? That order? Just watch it in the fucking release order. It's not that hard. It's not that <laughs> the only thing that's a little weird is the missing pieces, which is where I've ended off at. Like, I've yeah. seen up to the missing pieces. That's a little weird to tell somebody, but it's like, no, that's just... Missing pieces. The movie, watch the missing pieces, you're good. You would have never needed the missing pieces until the return came out. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad I'm going to have more context because I've already seen it. Yeah, there's some stuff that sort of gets re that kind of gets sort of referenced and re brought in the return that was only in the missing pieces. It didn't make it into the final cut. So yeah, the missing pieces are worth it for that. Up until the return came out, nobody needed to really watch it. But before we get way too far on a Twin Peaks thing, Adam, what have you got? Oh yeah, um, my friends Eureka delivered me something last week. I pre-ordered it a couple of months ago, and it is this beautiful Ooh. release of oh, that's Carl nice. Theodore Dreyer's Vampire. Um, I own the DVD. It's like they're it's 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 still only a Blu-ray upgrade. It's not 4K, which obviously I don't know if you guys keep up with your Eureka news. They announced their first 4Ks uh, of Please Story One to Three. Um, that's Eureka's announcement for this month, and their first they're going they're getting into the 4K market. Wait, Please Story. But um, yeah, this vamp- this vampire set like that art- that artwork is so fucking. I-, I like that better than the Criterion one. Uh, I might get that. Yeah, I don't actually overly like the the Criterion one. I I, I think it's a bit too um, I don't know, just a bit too, basic, a bit too gothy. Um, I don't know. Reminds me of like a Marilyn Manson album cover or something. Actually, I can Whereas see that. This one's pretty. I think this one's cooler. I remember him. Remember that band? Him is that? I don't know if mm. I'm. That reminds me of him. Anyway, uh, I think he's also Scandinavian, so it kind of makes sense. But yeah, Vampire, it's uh, it's it's a 2K scan. It's not quite 4K. I just don't think they have the materials needed to do a 4K scan. Uh, but I've seen the film before. It's a really interesting film. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, it's like an early kind of vampire movie, but there's some, a lot of, like, it's, it's drier. So there's a lot of really super interesting, really dynamic filmmaking here. Um, I think it came out in 1930, 1932. So it's like a year after M, where yeah. films started to get a little bit, European films especially started to get a little bit kind of try and, you know, try and be a little bit kookier. Um, yeah, but it's, a, it's an interesting film. I'm not going to sit here and say it's like, like one of my favorite films, but it's definitely worth watching, especially as like a horror fan, because there's just lots of really cool. Little, little bits in here that you see it and you think you know it's been sort of done redone or referenced sort of down the line it's a it's a very um it's a very important film it's a nice it's probably, too. yeah that's because Eureka are good for those there's a particular company that begins to see and I don't like their boxes for these kind of stuff it's a bit too flimsy but uh yeah Eureka do nice thick I don't know what to call them, oak cards or something like that. I think they call it, but um, yeah, like I think buying their limited releases are definitely worth it, purely for the nice case. You know, I've, I have a couple of them now. I have the Johnny Guitar one, which is beautiful. I have the Quaidan one, which is great as well. This one comes with a with a book, so you guys see, it comes with a nice a nice sort of booklet as well, a hard sort of booklet. So, 
I think um, the Criterion comes with a, the the screenplay or something. It does. Yeah. It okay. Comes with, yeah. Okay. Does, sure. Right. Um, I don't know if it still does. I know it definitely did when it was in its dual format, the same way that um, Picnic Hanging Rock comes with the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the book as well. But um, I don't know if it still does. Google. It I, I don't think they went past. I don't think they did a Blu-ray only of Vampire for Criterion. I think it's only dual format. But, um, and DVD. Let me see. This one I'm has a. Be... This you might be interested in this sack. Um, this one has two audio commentaries. So one is by a dude called Tony Rains. I don't. You guys have probably come across him at some mm-hmm. point. Expert on Asian cinema. Yeah, exactly. The other, the other commentary is by one Guillermo del Toro. Oh, look at that! That'll be uh, that'll be worth bringing up uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah. So. I actually haven't even looked at special features. Uh, has um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Kim Newman. Um, he's a horror historian. Uh, he's a British guy. Very, very distinctive look uh, with his long hair and beard and glasses. You, you, if, you, if you own much horror films that have special features, you probably would recognize him to see him. But um, he has, he has a, an interview about this film uh, on as well. It actually gives quite a lot of special features. It, it tells me how much of a fucking sucker I am for a nice cover that I didn't even look what was... <laughs> features around the film the, the cover is nice i like the film and it's nice to upgrade a dvd so i bought it but uh actually has some really nice special features as well um so yeah vampire from eureka masters of cinema i recommend getting the limited edition because it's gorgeous but um they always put out a standard edition two or three months later anyway so if you don't manage to get i think they only have a thousand copies of the limited i think they're limited they only do a, usually a thousand a thousand run Cool. Well, I may pick that up here soon then before it runs out. Yeah. 3,000. Sorry, I've just gone. I just went onto the website now. They have 3,000 of, the, of this one. All right. And welcome back. Now we're going to be talking about Chris's pick this week uh, for us to pair with Throwdown. We got the uh, Kashe Mikes, or as I used to say, Mike, um, film Rainy Dog from 1997, which is a Japanese assassin stranded in Taiwan must take work from a local crime boss to make ends meet when suddenly a woman from his past delivers a son to him. So Chris, this was your pick. So I want to hear uh, your thoughts on it. Didn't like it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay. I, I am very, uh, I hold Mickey films very dear. He's a uh, wild man. And, you know, I don't know. Have any of y'all seen Visitor Q? I have. I've seen it. Okay, so yeah, like, you know, any movie that can combine a family drama with like lactation scenes and like a weird little E.T. like alien, um, he, he just can go really far out there with his stuff, right? And obviously E.T. the Killer is famous for being very, very bloody and like Audition's famous for being very creepy and like all these things. The reason I wanted to watch Rainy Dog and the reason I wanted to pair it with Throwdown was because of the story of those three strangers coming together. So I hope we, I hope we get into that. Um, I like this movie a lot. I think it shows Mickey's ability, not just to be a provocateur, but to be a sort of traditional filmmaker as well. Um, and the world does not agree with me. <laughs> it has it as 18,832, which to me is a, is a crime. Too high. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah look meek is a 
DIY filmmaker. I don't, I don't know how he gets his films financed, but there it's, you know, if, if you go through all 111 of his credits, you know, there's not one producer, there's probably 111 different producers. Right. So he's, he's very DIY. He's gritty. He loves the, to, to shoot things very uh, almost like handheld. Uh, and I think once you get past the format and the style of his filmmaking, um, I think he tells some really interesting stories and this is one I love. So there's the vote for Rainy Dog. Uh, let's hear some, some, some uh, other voices in the room. Go with Adam. I just want to preface this to say, like, I don't hate Rainy Dog. <laughs> like, I don't think it's a bad film. Um, I didn't particularly love it or anything like that. And, you know, it's pretty solid sort of like three out of five. Um, I think that's what I rated it as, maybe three and a half, I can't remember. Um, I was surprised by it because when Chris announced we were going to watch it to catch a Mike film and I'd never seen one and I knew his uh, reputation, I was like, oh God, it's going to be a gore fest and some weird shit's going to happen. Um, so I was, I, was like, I was actually pleasantly surprised, you know, like watching the film. I was like, oh, okay, this guy is like actually like a, a, a good filmmaker, you know, and he clearly has, you know, a good cinematic guy. It's just pretty cool. It's a nice surprise. Um, yeah. This film lies in a very specific genre of disconnected crime movies. And I'll explain what I mean by disconnected crime movies. It all kind of stems from the French New Wave, the Japanese New Wave of how they took what would be like a normal gangster movie and just kind of made it a little bit more different oh yeah um and in france they made it a little bit more fun in japanese new wave but like suzuki and stuff they made it a little bit more weird um but what ended up sort of happening then over time especially especially in sort of east asia and you know we've talked obviously we're talking about two east asian films i know this is a japanese film but it's set in taiwan which is a very important plot point to the style of this so I found that in the sort of 80s and 90s and early 2000s, there's a lot of filmmakers who are from Hong Kong, Taiwan, China, who make a lot of films that are quite emotionally disconnected. They have action, they have plot, but it's like, it's like, it's like the, uh, the director's filming them from behind, behind, behind a mirror or something like that. Oh, it's kind of hard to describe. So something like Wong Kar Wai or... Hao Xiaoxian or Jia Zhangqi, very different filmmakers, of course, but they all kind of have this common thread of like disconnectedness in their films. Uh, okay. And I think a lot of that comes from the cultural aspect, the historical aspect, especially in Taiwan and Hong Kong, you know, which have a lot of historical issues with identity, um, you know, about they're, they're part of China one minute, not part of China another. They've been passed and handed, but, you know, between different ruling parties for pretty much their entire sort of modern history um and i feel like this ties into the style i think rainy dog fits in that kind of category even though it is a a film by a japanese filmmaker i think it ties really well into that kind of one car why um you know even like you know the way johnny toe and stuff like that yeah that kind of there's a there's a there's a disconnectedness there's a a feeling of sort of lost it does it feel like, like almost kind of being lost and stuff like that not just with the character because he is stranded in taiwan it's the whole plot he's a hitman stranded as we said 
but even just in the style and I can never really put my finger on exactly what the filmmakers do to make it this way but it's very distinctive and I think it's something that when you've watched a lot of films from this part of the world it's something you kind of pick up on um there's another film that kind of reminded me of that I don't know if you guys have seen from Edward Yang called Taipei Story um it's also set in Taiwan in completely different st- film in terms of plot like could not be more different but the style is just very very similar so yeah. i still don't really like the film all that much but i i do find it very interesting i think it's a very interestingly made film hey i'll take that <laughs> what about you Zach? so this is going to be one of those ones i have i have a list of things where i went in with the wrong expectation yeah. and i know i need to rewatch it yeah. And, you know, my Mike films have been Issue the Killer, has been Audition, has been 13 Assassins, um, First Love, that sort of thing. So it's kind of in the same way Adam did, where he went in with this expectation, but I went in with the experience behind it. So yep. I kind of like, I think, I think I sold myself that. And I was like, so when it got to it, and I was like, oh, this is just, this is a very, somber sort of thing going on here. I don't see anyone stabbing their eardrums out or, you know, <laughs> cutting legs off or anything like that. I was like, this is interesting. This is different for for him. And I think that's awesome. You know, that's one of those things that's where when you have this director that's got 111 credits, he makes several films a year. I'm sure there's someone out there who can call themselves a Mike expert. I would love to meet them who has seen every film he's ever done. They understand his work completely. What he's gotten famous for and what he does are definitely probably two different things. You know, he he gets his fame from the disturbing. And I will say the violence in this movie still punches hard. Like when the few yeah. violent scenes there are, they punch hard. And that's where I felt him the most. So it's interesting because he did this is part of a trilogy for him about being lost in Taiwan, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the, the first in the story in the series is called Shinjuku Triad Society. Then there's this one, Rainy Dog, and then the third one is Ley Lines. Um, I, I won't go into all of it, but just to show you the, the you know, Shinjuku is, is much more closer to what you would expect from a Mike film. It has to do with the organ harvesting of humans and the, and the trade of, like the, the black market kind of trade around organs. Um, they don't go too graphic, luckily, but it's not completely hidden either. Um, <laughs> so when I saw this trilogy for the first time, I saw Shin- Shinjuku. And it's funny because even in a story about organ harvesting, uh, and there's an element where kids come in. Luckily, they don't show anything with kids, but it's part of the story. And it's heartbreaking and it's hard to watch. And then there's still a sweetness to the way that the story kind of resolves. <laughs> and then this one, I wasn't sure what to go in, although I heard it's the best in the, in the trilogy. And for me, I just, it just shows him as an auteur, uh, which is not a word that gets used for him a lot, unless people are kind of snarky uh, using it like sarcastically. But I think he is an auteur and I think this shows his ability. Yeah, I think, I, I think Mika, even what I expect from him, I mean, you look at something like Audition, it's hard to watch. Audition is awesome. It's a great film. Yeah. But he, you know, Issue the Killer. I think it's a really good film. I don't think it's aged the best when I sat and rewatched a few years ago. <laughs> Some of the CGI is a little rough, but, you know, 
he's inventive, and no one could ever take that away from him. He's mm-hmm. a very inventive guy. Yeah. Um, did y'all pick up on why I chose this movie to accompany Throwdown? They're both boring. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, am I joking? Savage. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just what I picked up on is kind of what I said before. You know, they're both films that should be about crime and fighting and stuff, but they're not really about that. They're more about the personal connectedness to those around them. Rainy Dog is a little bit different because it has this sort of this sort of weird father-son story that doesn't really actually develop a whole lot until like towards the end of the movie um, about how he has this son he didn't know about who he leaves sleep in an alley with a dog while he has sex with prostitutes. Um, but great <laughs> um, father-son yeah. activity. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's the, again, it just kind of goes back to the, I feel like they are similar enough stylistically that was why I had guessed anyway. You can tell me I'm something different now and I might I might find it interesting. But I found them stylistically not too dissimilar in terms of portraying what would typically be an action movie as something maybe slightly more melancholic or okay. disconnected. Yeah. Uh, Zach, any guesses before I... Um, I would say that's uh, what Adam said is pretty similar. I will add, uh, just as kind of an aside that it's interesting that Throwdown ended up being the happier of the two by the end of it. Like, yeah. I was like, I, I don't know. I was just like, oh, well, this is kind of a downer. So it's kind of interesting. So um, one of the things I love about Mike and I love about people like him in general, is they're not afraid to show broken people, right? And, you know, I hope that if there, there's a, a son who gets dropped off at a father's house, that that son doesn't have to go through what the boy and rainy dog went through. Of course, like if you think about that in terms of like real life, that's extremely traumatic. <laughs> um, but in the context of rainy dog and in the context of toe, I think they both show broken people uh, that come together in, in a way that is probably not expected and, and they didn't even want in the beginning. Uh, and I feel like they make each other stronger. So these three come together and they make each other stronger. Uh, One thing I will say about Rainy Dog, one of the reasons I like it so much is as this guy who wants, the the hitman who wants absolutely nothing to do with his son. And as he comes together and starts to figure out what that relationship is going to look like and the woman that he's sleeping with wants to get out of her life of prostitution, and sort of start a new life with him. Uh, I find the movie like in a weird way, very optimistic um, in that they're able to get past their broken selves and their broken past and try to kind of form this new life together despite they're not gonna do it the perfect way because they're not like, because humans aren't perfect, right? Like we don't, the way that humans are portrayed and the way that humans learn lessons in a lot of Hollywood movies is not how most things really happen. Right. So they also don't happen as far as extreme as rainy dog, but I like when people explore that side of things. And so, uh, yeah, you guys might remember. So did pickpocket have a very similar dynamic? Is that the one I'm remembering about the, the, the main character and the prostitute? 
Zhao Wu. Uh, yeah. Um, or am I thinking of a different one? We've watched so many she, movies for this. I'm starting, no, to, I'm starting to forget now. Yeah, Zhao Wu, the prostitute in that was definitely more so in it for herself. Okay. Uh, it's It's been she, a while now. So I'm sitting yeah, here, I was like, I knew there was a dynamic there, but I couldn't remember it. Yeah, they certainly do. They have a kind of a, a friendship, um, but she is she's 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 also happy just kind of leaving him if a better deal comes along. Which gotcha. I think if okay. I remember correctly, but what ends up happening in Shawu? Um, I can't remember for sure. It's been so long since we watched it, but um, yeah, I don't yeah, think they do. No, they don't. I think she runs off with someone else. Um, pretty sure. Um, but yeah, slightly different. But um. It seems to be something that um that does show up quite a lot in Asian cinema. Um that sort of I suppose not even just Asian cinema, I suppose Taxi Driver, I suppose has you know Charles Bickle trying to rescue Jodie Foster from child prostitution. Um I'm sure there's I'm sure there's tons of films that are about that really. Um yeah, it seems to be a pretty common theme across cinema. I just I wonder if it's where being American, like it's one of those things where they seem a lot more, not necessarily open. I'm sure there's still some taboo with prostitution, but it seems a lot less taboo in a sense. Or I don't know if it's just where it's underground crime movie sort of ideas. It just seems a little bit more open about things like that. I don't know if that's a Japanese culture thing or if that's just Takashi Miike because he's very open. That's true. <laughs> um, he, he's very open with that stuff uh, for sure. Um but yeah, I look, I, I wanted to, I, I just, it's very simple for me. I, I thought I saw the three random people getting together and trying to make their lives better. And I thought of Rainy Dog. Um, and I think, I, I'm glad you picked up on the disconnected thing. I think maybe that was there more subliminally for me, but um, I, I wanted, I, I want to get exposure to Mike films that are not Ichi the Killer because I, I just sort of want him to be discovered. I think he's quite brilliant. Um, even though he's willing to, to put out some stuff that he probably isn't passionate about just to get paid. Um, you know, he makes a lot of films and I think there's certain ones that pop out to me. There's another one called the bird people of China. That's a really beautiful film as well, but um, yeah, he has these different sites. So I wanted to expose y'all to this. Yeah, and I, I think that's great just because it's been different. Like I said, mine was just like, oh, this isn't at all what I expected, actually. Definitely. Yeah, same, same for me. Like, um, it was certainly eye-opening to, to experience this kind of film. Because um, like I said, like I, my expectations for a Takashi Miike film was a horrible gore fest. Um, just because of, I only really know about each killer and audition, and I only know those by reputation. Um, so it was certainly interesting and I, I think it's, he's someone I probably would happily explore more from now that I kind of know he's not a one-trick pony because I just assumed he was just the guy who made Japanese gory movies you know that's just that was my assumption because I didn't know about his massive filmography until you guys mentioned it earlier uh, when we when we started recording and uh, I, I didn't even know that so um, yeah he's someone I'm more open to watching more films from perhaps. If, if you're ever in a mood to just watch something kind of like, I don't even know how to say it, just kind of badass. Um, 13 Assassins is it's just good. Whew, it's good. I remember yeah. I listened to, I listened to the episode of, of your old podcast with that one, Zach. That's I heard about that one. It, it's a fun, it's a fun movie. And, and as far as like, 
it's not as gory as a lot of his other stuff. Like it's very action packed. It's very good action, but it it has that build up you want. It it doesn't it it isn't in a rush to get to the high action scenes. It lets it it's, build up. So I it's think a samurai you know. film, isn't it? It's a samurai yeah. movie. Cool. That sounds good to me. And then he has a really kind of like com like dark, you know, obviously dark comedy because it's him. But he has a, a comedy kind of action series called Dead or Alive, which is really funny. It's almost I've like, heard that's actually pretty good. Yeah, they're great. But um, I did I, one thing I did want to note about Rainy Dog is uh, it's got this weird, and I think it's only because it rains the entire movie. What was that seven feel to it, like that gritty seven feel? Yeah, because it just rained so much, and then the end, of course, hits pretty hard. I do think it, it builds that up pretty well. Um, it has that line uh, well tomorrow it won't be raining or something like that I'm trying to remember it's been weeks now and I'm sitting here trying to remember what the line was but I really liked it at the very end oh um, I can definitely tell Tarantino was influenced a little bit by that ending and I don't want to give it away but there was a line in there that I was like he pretty much repurposes that line in Kill Bill yeah so I thought yeah, I definitely I got Tarantino vibes from the film in general, just like, you know, just with just I suppose just with the violence aspect, maybe I think, that, you know, when there is violence, like with the gun shooting and stuff and the guys wearing the black suits and stuff, I definitely got a few Tarantino vibes. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a fan of this film. The other I don't know if you guys caught these kind of vibes. I kind of got King of New York vibes as well from some of the shooting, that. the shooting scenes, particularly. Yeah, Just the way to sort of you know that you know the sort of high intensity of of the sort of gunfights that do happen when they do uh, almost like sloppy of, kind of. Yeah, yeah, this kind of gave me King of New York vibes a little bit. Um, yeah, I can totally it, see that. I, there's a weird comparison I think you can make with Ferreira and Mike. Like they're very talented individuals who can take filmmaking extremely seriously. They 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 understand cinematic language, but at the same time they're going they like their violence and they will indulge a lot in it any chance they get they're going to take the moment to indulge in it which you know i think that's interesting yeah i mean i i think that that's you know there's a there's this idea that um verhoven talks about as well when he shows violence of of using it to prove a point right so i i never know like with ferrera and mike i don't know if they're more in the verhoven camp of like it's, I'm going to show you violence because there's a greater point behind this. Uh, or if they're in the camp of just basically wanting to show some, some cool shit and, and some Tarantino, basically. Hey, this is kind of cool. Tarantino, exactly. Um, I, I don't know. I think Mickey's probably more on the Tarantino side of things. Just, I think for him, it would just depend on the movie. Like, it, it's hard to say. Like, I could go one to the other, just depending on which, even which scene it is, which in, in the movie. And I guess I can feel a little convoluted for him but yeah i could I, I there are certain movies i could make the argument either way yeah like i feel like itchy is one is i've seen i've seen that movie four or five times nice and i think there's a point i just never have quite <laughs> figure out what the point is but i keep watching it so it's got to be something there. i just keep waiting for the shoes to come out with razor blades in them but they're slow to market <laughs> Or the or the was it was it ice skates? What is it? What do the shoes have that slice so hard? Yeah, it's that. Yeah, yeah. Ice skates. Anyways, I keep waiting for that. That'd be a fun shoe to have. Um, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, thank you all for going down that, the, for being open to to a Mickey movie. Um, thank you, Adam. No, I'll have to let you know when I rewatch it, because my plan is to give it like a little while and then rewatch it again, because I'm very curious how to feel about it knowing what I know now. Yeah, good. I think it would rewatch well. I, I probably won't rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I got what I needed. I got what I needed from the phone. I'm just joking. Who knows? Who knows? Do you want to, before we go into the last segment then, Zach, do you want to announce for the peoples what we're going to be talking about next episode? Well, next proper episode? All right. Uh, so I can't really give up what the connection is without feeling a little spoilery, but I take my word for it. There is a connection here. So the movies we will be watching is our film club voted on Guillermo del Toro's Kronos, which was actually in my nomination. So this kind of works out. Um, and then my pick to pair with that is Gore Verbinski's uh, 2016 film, A Cure for Wellness. So I'm going to make Adam watch a really long movie. <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> and I cannot even guarantee. I don't even know. Like, it's one of those movies that's very divisive. So I could definitely see you both coming back saying you didn't like it. So I'm very curious. So next episode is going to be fun because Kronos wasn't very good either. So. <laughs> yeah. the boxing gloves on. Here we go. There next we go. episode is going to be super fun. Uh, we'll, we'll close off then with what we usually do with any other business. So just to talk about something we've seen recently uh, that we just want to give a shout out to. Obviously, it doesn't have to be Criterion related. Just something that we saw. We, you know, we thought was cool. Um, not that it needs any more marketing, but the film I'm going to talk about is the new Top Gun movie, uh, Top Gun Maverick. Um, I don't particularly care for the first film. Um, I've seen it twice. It's standard corny action movie. That's cool. Um, second film is awesome. It's like it's like it's like it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be allowed to be as good as it is. No Top Gun movie has right to be as good as this film is. It's it really reminds me. And this is probably you know because Chris McQuarrie was co-produced and co-wrote it but it feels like like some of the newer mission impossible movies that i really really like um just it finds that really good balance between serious action but also like just sort of little goofy moments which is you know it's a topical movie it's going to be goofy it's going to be corny parts the romance with jennifer connelly's character is corny as hell there's some corny dialogue they play touch football on the beach you know <laughs> there's corny crap in this movie but at the same time, it's it, it earns it all because the action sequences are some of the best I've ever seen. You know, a lot of modern movies would have their actors sit in a studio in the make of a plane on green screen. These filmmakers said, fuck that. We're getting the actors in the cockpit. They're going to learn how to operate the camera and basically direct themselves while flying around at high speed and high altitude. It's just nuts. Like Tom Cruise did a lot of his own flying in it as well. Like, you know, Tom Cruise is a weird guy, but I have massive respect for how he approaches his craft. Right. Um, right. You know, in terms of doing his own stunts and, you know, being heavily involved in creative processes and things like that. I have super respect from, from that, from, from that side of things. And um, yeah, honestly, it just kind of blew me. I saw it yesterday and I'm still thinking about it. Like, like why do I care so much about, you know, a freaking Top Gun movie? um yeah I, I just really really care about this movie it was just really really great Um, definitely see it in a theater if you can because 
like the sound I, I saw it in a theater that had um Dolby Atmos sound and it was just it's just, it's a movie that is made for for the for the theater um that's good to hear I didn't know what to expect with that um so I'll, I'll be a little bit more optimistic about seeing it um you think if I if I my original plan was to wait to see it until I was on a plane, but you think I should I should see it before that? <laughs> no, genuinely, no, like all joking aside about like plane jokes, you will get so much. I think you'll get so much more out of a movie if you see it in a theater with a nice big screen. I don't know if you have an IMAX near you. Yeah, you see it in an IMAX. If you, like I didn't get to see it in an IMAX because we just don't have one down my part of the country. You have to go up to Dublin for for your nearest IMAX. So I chose the theater and. The way my theater is, the nearest one I have, they have a few different screens of different sizes. Oh, yeah. And they had it playing in a few different screens at different times. And I chose the one that specifically had the biggest screen okay. and the best sound system. Okay. And my theater has these really cool, they're basically like, basically like easy. What's, the, what's those chairs that they have? Easy? Lazy boys. Lazy boys. They're basically lazy boys. Like you can lean back and put your feet up on them and everything. Um, so it was like it was a it was a peak cinematic experience but yeah just the visuals and the sound of the action sequences like the the flying sequences is just some of the best action i've ever seen in a movie it's crazy well i'll 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 go next uh and and i'll keep the theme going of movies that i've seen in theaters then because i uh just got back from seeing a movie called everything everywhere all at once which is the new A24 film. It's doing pretty yeah. good business, actually. Um, and the only thing I knew about it what is, is, is that it was a multiverse movie. Yeah, I'm the same. That's all I know about it. Yeah. Um, wow. Like, this movie is nuts. Like, the, the two directors, they call themselves the Daniels. It's like Dan Kwan and then uh, Dan, um, I forget his name, Shine Murderson. But they, they go by the Daniels and they've mostly done kind of lower budget, kind of independent movies. Um, I would say high on concept, like the one they did where Harry Potter is a dead guy. They're trying to get off an island, a Swiss Army Man. Oh, yeah, these, I've heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. Like these big, like high concept kind of movies, but lower budgets. And this one, they were given a decent budget. Um, and like I literally could spend another hour just describing the plot. Like I'm not even going to try but the basic premise is it's, it's sort of, I don't know, Zach, if you've seen everything everywhere all at once yet, have you or no? I have, I saw it in theaters. Okay, tell me if I'm crazy. I had a lot of inside out from Pixar vibes when I was watching this from the way that they're like going into the mind almost. Yeah, I can see that. Like uh, I, I didn't quite get that connection i guess because it and dr strange came out at the same time that's where most of my connection comes in totally but uh, yeah but yeah that i could yeah i because it's definitely like much more intro in, introspective i guess is the word okay yeah so i won't go too much into spoilers or anything like that but i believe that the different universes that they jump between are like metaphors for like fragments of the mind. Uh, that's kind of my takeaway from that. And I don't know if that's true, but like they get into some really funny stuff. Like one of the universes, people have hot dogs as fingers and they have to like learn to do things with their feet. Um, and some of the universes, they're like good at Kung Fu and some of the universes, she's like a sushi chef. So like 
they do it's a it's a it's a very unique super wacky take on the multiverse concept um that i have no idea how they kept it all together like there's very few people that could have written a movie the way that they did and and i think left with it actually being somewhat coherent despite it basically being like two hours of just like total nonsense and like chaos and anarchy um but at the right moments they kind of pull it together and like all these different universes that they introduce, they start to progress the story in a way that's meaningful. And I don't know, I think they pulled it off. Like I really, uh, I really, really like this movie. I think it's one that people should see and uh, just be prepared for a ton of humor. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, probably her funniest role and some just off the wall action and, and, uh, and, and a heartfelt ending. It's one of those films I'm terrified to watch because of the hype. Um, yeah I, I, it, it's crazy how hyped this movie is like it's good and i am right there with chris it is one of the few movies where i laughed a ton in it and then it also got me like a little a little broken up by the end um yeah. you know, it, it, it did that well and like it doesn't feel unearned it doesn't feel like they've manipulated you it you just kind of feel it by the end yeah um but yeah. it might be good if you're worried about that to maybe give it a little time and then watch it would probably be my recommendation i probably have to do that anyway because i just i was just looking looking into it there's no theaters kind of near me showing it anyway so i'll probably have to wait till it comes out streaming before i watch it um i think it's enhanced by going to the theater uh because of the way that they like when they have an emotional swell the music also swells and it's like you can't help but be caught up in like this moment Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's it's a, a, a bad movie without the theater. I think it'd be okay streaming. What about you, Zach? What have you seen? Um, so the one I think I'm going to talk about is um, a horror sequel, and I'm very shocking. Um, but recently I did a rewatch on uh, Psycho 2 by Richard Franklin. Nice. Um, and the reason I really wanted to take the time to highlight this movie is – there is absolutely no reason this movie should be as good as it is. Like when you look at a sequel to, you know, uh, psycho is credited for being a, if not the start, at least a huge influence on the slasher genre. Um, it's made by Albert Hitchcock. It's, you know, one of those very classy type of horror films that you see a lot. You know, this came out 22 years later and, it really, really has no business being good. It feels like a cash grab because the author who wrote Psycho had wrote a sequel the year before and basically Universal was offended by how he wrote the whole making a movie thing. It's, it ends up being a satire basically with a big middle finger to Hollywood. Universal didn't like that. They commissioned a sequel um, and the sequel's really good. Like um, Anthony Perkins returns um, and the whole thing becomes this sort of character study. Like, when you think of how are you supposed to do a sequel to Psycho, it's this idea that Norman Bates is getting out of the asylum 22 years later, and he's trying to put his life back together. And that feels almost insane in the sense that you're watching a guy and feeling bad for a guy who killed seven people. And, you know, it's you have um, the woman who was in Psycho, I can't think of her name right now, the sister, She's back into it, and her whole objective is to try to get him back in the asylum because she believes he's dangerous. And it's this weird dichotomy of you feel bad for Norman, but you understand why she's as upset as she is and, like, why she needs this to be 
change, why he doesn't deserve to be out. And you're going back and forth on that. And it's a really good script. Like Tom Holland, we talked about Child's Play a few minutes ago. He was the writer. Um, just a cool movie that should not have any business being good. And it ends up being, I, I won't sit there and say it's better than Psycho yet, but it's it's pretty close for me. Like nice. I would watch nice. them easily. I've only seen I've only seen the first, never seen any of the sequels, but I gotta say, hats off to Tom Holland. You know, not only did he write Psycho two, but then he went on to play Spider Man. That's just good for him. Absolutely awesome. I want to know his skincare routine because he looks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I I actually you're not the first person I've heard say that Psycho two is actually like is actually good, Um, which is like you said, it's surprising um, that it would be. So I do need to get on it at some point. It's definitely not the first time I've heard someone praise Psycho 2. Yeah, and it just, it, you know, it's kind of funny. And I think I wrote that in my review. Like, you know, we look at like, you know, Halloween 2018 was like, a lot of people liked it because it's like going back so many decades later to kind of see how things have changed. And it's like, well, Psycho 2 also did that just a lot sooner. You know, it's going in and exploring those characters years later after the events. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'll have to put it on my watch list. Let's see if it's streaming somewhere. This, I'd be interested to see it. I there's, like a Ger- Perkins, but anyway, so. there's a German company. I can't remember. It's a um, can't remember the name of them, but they put out a, a release of, of like a complete Psycho release, mm-hmm. and it's got all the sequels, and it has like uh, some t- like a TV movie even. It's got like all this stuff in it. It's pretty cool. It's uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through it this year for Halloween. Well, what was kind of funny with uh, when I was looking into uh, Psycho 2 is they didn't think they could get Anthony Perkins back. And he had said no when they first said it because he didn't really want to be known as Norman Bates, which is pretty much what he got known for anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, but he read the script. So they were going to go with Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken was going to play Norman Bates in a TV movie for this script. And they, on a Hail Mary, sent the script to Anthony Perkins. Like, are you sure you don't want to do it? And he really liked it. And they actually got a theatrical thing going on and everything. Wow. So I haven't seen three or four. I have never seen three or four. I need to watch them. Well, this Halloween, you can watch them with me. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> watch that and watch the Bates Motel TV series. Yeah, exactly.